This is the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and on today's episode, we get to catch up with the legend himself, Zach Bayrudi, who chats about his summer, some college hoops, and of course, his memories of former Ports who shined in this year's MLB playoffs. During these trying times, Chase Chevrolet is still open and here to serve you. With their Easy Pass service, you can shop online and have your new pre-owned vehicle delivered right to your door. Learn more at chasechevrolet.com slash easypass. We had this guy for our first episode, so it's only fitting that we have Zach Bayrudi, the legend in Stockton, uh, back for our 50th, 50th episode, the former voice of the Stockton Ports, Zach Barrett, 50th episode, Zach. You're, you're number one and you're number 50. How's it feel? I'm honored, man. I feel honored. That's <laughs> how it feels. How are you? I'm good. I mean, we're, we're, we're done with baseball season now officially since the World Series. It was a great uh, season. How was your was first gr- season in the Cal League? Yeah, yeah it was phenomenal. It was, it was the least work I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, man, you'd get there and it would just be a case. You'd spend case most of your days at home. Most, yeah, all, almost all my time at home. <laughs> so terrible. And I'm part sorry, of the season. I'm sorry, in that was your first year in the Cal League. Well, I could say the same thing for you. I mean, your first first year in the Pacific yeah. Coast League in AAA. I mean, you know, you thought you'd be on plenty of early morning Southwest flights. I guess that part's not so bad. But getting to experience new cities, and I mean, all we can do is hope that in 2021 things will be back to normal enough that that minor league baseball is back in full swing instead i was doing soccer from my living room were you really yeah did i tell you about this so i i, I knew that uh the, the aces also owned i think it's reno 1868 is that right mm-hmm. uh a, a soccer, soccer club yes but but fill me in on the details um, so they asked me, the, the Aces asked me to do the games that were going to be played by their soccer club, 1868 FC. Um, Emily Jansen, the GM, called me and she's like, hey, our, our soccer team is going to play. That league is going to get underway. And ESPN Radio up here wants to carry the games desperately. Like, have, have you done soccer and can you do it? And I was like, well, <laughs> I haven't done soccer. Uh, you know, I, I've done a couple of matches on tv for pacific but i mean radio is you know is a totally different gig like you have to have different terminology to have people paint the picture in their minds and all that so um you know i i I, of course i wanted to do anything i could and i was like for sure you know i'll I'll give it a go and and we'll we'll do it so she said i was going to be doing it off of uh, the games were on espn plus and she's like you can just basically do it from home you'll have the Comrex, you connect to the station and you're going to do it off the monitor from home. And it's like, okay, you know, wow. so I did. So I think 20 something matches later, um, I I've done soccer on radio now and it was, uh, it was quite an adventure. I'll put it to you that way. It was, it was awesome. I loved it. Uh, by the way, I loved it, but it was an adventure figuring out how to do it and the kind of the nuances of it. Did you have to take like a crash course in soccer terminology? Cause like you said, I mean, all that stuff comes into play so much more on radio than it does on TV. So, um, you know, this is as a broadcaster. So I want to give a shout out to STAA. Um, it's a, it's a sports broadcasting agency. I'm not, I'm not a member there, but they have great resources for broadcasters. So that's one of the first places I went to figure out, uh, just to kind of get a, a glossary of soccer terminology. Um, so I could educate myself so I didn't sound stupid. And so I could actually give whoever was listening, a, a, a as good a description as I could. And they had a great glossary of terms in there that, um, 
people who had done soccer had contributed. So I studied up on that, studied up on the layout of a, of a field and the areas, you know, because when you're calling a, a sport on radio, like, you know, like identifying areas on the diamond or on the court or on the pitch, as it turned out, is, is pretty big. So I had that like next to me at all times. Um, the Aces uh, slash 1868, they have a first class media department. So they had yeah. game notes that were super in depth um, and it was a huge help for me. And I just, I, I figured it out as I went. I'll, I'll tell you this, just between you and me. Uh, the f- and between everyone else that's listening right now. Between you and I. And yeah, <laughs> anybody who's, who's watching. Uh, before the first match, I was so nervous. Because this is like my PCL debut, right? Like, this is the first match I'm calling for the people that hired me to do uh, Aces broadcast. So I'm thinking, like, this is... Turns you know, out it's soccer. Turns out it's soccer. So, and I have, and I've never done soccer. So I literally had everything set up. I had prepped and prepped and I was so nervous. And, and literally five minutes before I went on, I said, you know what? I just, I I have to get, I have to get the jitters out. And uh, I took a double Patron shot and I said, let's, let's go. Let's, let's do it. And uh, it was, and you know what? The nerves were gone. um, And, uh, as anything else in life, like you go into a new adventure and you just, you just kind of learn as you go and you try and do your best and you prepare as best you can. And you just uh, find a way to get the jitters out. And that was mine. It was, uh, it was an adventure. Did you end up slurring any words? No, 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 no. It was, <laughs> it was, it was just enough to, just like, to calm the nerves. To, to, like I was, I was breathing a little heavy, you know, because I wanted, like, you know, you're, you want to do a good job. It's your first time working for the people who hired you. So I was just, I just needed to be not as nervous as I was and it went fine and, uh, and had a great season. Your first time working for the people that hired you, you can't be there and you're doing a different sport. On top of all that, it's a sport that you're not super familiar with. So I can understand the nerves. Yeah. But you know what? The nerves make you better in the end. Like everything no else, like, you know, you're, you're nervous going in, you conquer it and then you're better for it. So that's, like some of the best life advice I can give, you know, is that's you just be nervous, sit in your discomfort and, and, and go with it. He's Zach Beirut. He's, he's the voice of the Reno Aces, as well as your Pacific Tigers. And Zach, I mean, on that same note, we may be doing something similar in, in college. He's got the, he's got the power cat on right now. Uh, he's, he's, we, we may be do, doing something different, uh, something similar, pardon me, uh, to your soccer adventure for college basketball. I mean, I, no one knows what the season's going to look like yet. There, there, from what I understand, there has to be a season. You know, for those folks out there who are, you know, Stockton Ports fans, also follow the Pacific Tigers or West Coast Conference basketball or any kind of college basketball, what do you foresee this season looking like? Dude, I have no clue. Like, it's – I don't know about you, but it – I don't want to say it stresses me out, but it, it stresses me out a little bit because I'm, I'm worried because I want there to be a season, obviously, but I'm more worried that, like – our institutions are going to really suffer if we don't have a season and you know, schools in the WCC rely on, on the basketball money and the TV money and the tournament money to get them through. And, and if there's not a season, you know, who knows, who knows what the future looks like. It it would really literally be unknown. Um, So I, I I hope they have one. I don't know what it would look like. Um, I heard today the the Vegas bubble they were considering might not happen because of the cost of it all. It might be prohibited, Mm -hmm. which is totally understandable, like to put people up in Vegas for two or three weeks to feed them and, you know, to accommodate them the way they'd need to be in accordance with all the regulations. Like that's expensive, you know? So 
I, I don't. I hope they're able to to travel safely and and to play at least the conference games at the home sites if it comes to that, and and have there not be any kind of a an outbreak. Yeah, I mean it's it's definitely gonna be interesting, and I think you brought up a good point. Like what people don't think about is the fact that all every WCC sport, tennis, baseball, uh, golf, soccer. You know, I know Pacific's got a great men's soccer program. Um, they all need the basketball money to operate. And missing the, the NC2A tournament in 2020 was the worst thing that could have happened to the West Coast Conference because you would have had three uh, separate teams making the tournament. For those of you who don't know, uh, the, the conference shares, the you know, a million dollars per round that each school from their league advances. So you're talking about three units, what they call it, three units, plus however many rounds, you know, Gonzaga and BYU and St. Mary's would have advanced. I mean, that is a big deal. It's huge. I, like the perfect storm of, of bad things for the WCC. They have three teams potentially going in. They miss out on that revenue. And like, you know, they, they plan like two years in advance. So they're basically spending money they thought they were going to have, and now they don't. And now it, you're talking about being in a hole. So uh, they, they need this to happen. And I mean, not just the WCC. Like think about the, even the power conferences. Like think about the money mm-hmm. – you know, everybody talks about the money they take in with football, but think about the money that goes out. Like, think about the money they spend to make it all happen. Like, it's all relative, right? So they, they need their money too. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting deal to see what happens and, and, and who really is pushing for it too because there, there's going to be, I think, some heavy hitters getting involved saying, hey, we need this money to come in and – come hell or high water, we're going to have to figure it out. And, and maybe it's kind of like baseball, you know, where, where it literally came hell or high water and they were like, we, we need to have a season here. Like we need to have some semblance of a season to, to make this thing look like the optics of it look good. And we need to recoup whatever money we can. So it, it might just mm-hmm. even come to that for the WCC. Now, I don't know if you heard, um, but I, I did hear a rumor that UC Riverside was actually considering cutting their entire athletics program because of this whole deal. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen, but the fact that they even considered that is crazy. And you know what? I mean, getting back, and we'll get to baseball after this, but getting back to the WCC, I think most schools in the WCC are at an advantage right now because they're private institutions. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know Long Beach State uh, hasn't allowed their baseball team to even get on the field yet, or at least as of, as of a couple weeks ago. So you're, you're talking about all these state guidelines uh, and you know, the, the institutions being run by the state. Well, all the schools in the WCC, Pacific, St. Mary's, San Francisco, Santa Clara, what have you, they all kind of control their own destiny to a certain extent. They do. And I, I mean, I can't speak to, to Riverside, but you can, you can speak to the fact that it's a state school and that their, their focus, number one, is on keeping people safe. And number two, yeah. making sure they can make it academically. Like that is, that is and that, that's for every institution, but especially if you're a state school, like, they're, like UC Riverside isn't getting rich off of athletics. So for them... It, it certainly, I think, is less of a priority than maybe a school in the WCC or, or a you know, major conference power. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting landscape, isn't it? No doubt about it. College kind of surprising. so strange. It is. And this is – I mean, this could be really bad for college athletics. I don't think we're going to get there, like we said. I mean, I think the WCC and the NC2A has a basketball season because they need it. They need the revenue. I mean, you know, what I've heard the NCAA tournament provides 90%, I think, of the revenue for the NC2A. I mean, if there is no, you know, NCAA tournament this year, if there's no WCC season this year, 
there may not be a WCC anymore, and there may not be an NCAA like we know it for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about probably, you know, some of these conferences merging together to save, you know, whatever whatever money they can, and maybe the next couple of years you're looking at very regional competition to cut down mm-hmm. on costs, which, I mean, which it sucks. Like, the, I think the the best part <clears throat> for me of of college basketball, and I'll speak to that because you and I work in it. Um, but like to me, the best part about college basketball, one of the, the best parts is that you get to see teams from all over the country play each other. You know, you can see Gonzaga go play West Virginia and really see how teams stack up and how conferences stack up. I think that's part of the intrigue of it all. So if you, I think if you pare it down and make it very regional, you're just going to miss some of what makes it so great during the season. That's just my opinion. I don't, I don't know if you... I mean, I know St. Mary's tends to not uh, play non-conference out of the state of California, so maybe you can uh, have a different perspective there. But, uh, you know, you give me your thoughts too. Well, I just remember – I think it's funny that we're having this conversation now because I remember going on a Dayton podcast before St. Mary's played Dayton a year ago oh, in oh, Arizona. Oh, a dating is, podcast. I was like – Dating podcast, no. Uh, <laughs> I know someone who wouldn't be too fond of that. No. Um, but yeah. No, uh, I remember going on a Dayton podcast, which – who St. Mary's played in Phoenix, which is outside the state of California. Thank you very much. Uh, that, that we were talking about how like these neutral games are bad for college basketball. Now we're, we're possibly talking about, you know, teams on the West coast, not playing past the continental divide until the postseason. I mean, we're just, it's, it's, it's just crazy how much of a completely different landscape it is. Yeah. Uh, and that, that to me wouldn't, it wouldn't be fun for me. Um, no, I remember <laughs> I remember seeing a tweet of yours actually about five years ago. I think it was a little bit more. I think Pacific was playing at Western Illinois. And I think the tweet you had was like, coming to you tonight from the middle of nowhere. I mean, that's just kind of what's fun about it, right? I mean, you get to go places you've yeah. never been before. Yeah, and I forget what conference the, the fight in Leathernecks, I forget what conference they're, they're in. Is it, the, is it the Horizon League or something like Might that? Might be the Horizon League, Sun um, Belt, something like that. Yeah, but it, it, was, it was neat to see what that was all about. And, and yeah. for – for our team to see what that was all about. Like I remember when Stoudemire first took the job in Stockton, uh, UMass was on the schedule um, and, and we had to go back to Amherst, which is where I'm from. So it was really, really cool for me, but he, he in, in practice at the end of practice one day when that game was kind of on the horizon, he was like, I'm so excited for you guys to go and see what the A-10 is all about. And, and Damon was like, I'm going to tell you what the A-10 is all about. The A-10 is guys that were, that are pissed off because they were under-recruited um, and, He's like, they, they were good enough to go D1, and they got under-recruited, so they wound up at UMass or Rhode Island or St. Joe's. He goes, and, and these are legit dudes. So he, he was telling his guys, he was excited to see how they stack up against that league. Um, and it was, I'd never thought of it in those terms, but it was, uh, it was fascinating to see. We got, we got blown out that night. <laughs> UMass was a little too much. Pacific wasn't, wasn't uh, very strong that year, but uh, still cool to, to go and experience it, you know, cross-country. Hey, the A-10's a good league, though. And this is the last – I mean, you're, you're talking Dayton, like we just said, VCU, Rhode Island had some really no good teams. in that league. You mentioned you know. St. Joe's, Temple. I mean, St. Peter's a- last year. St. Peter's had a season last year, you know? Like, they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. They're in the A-10, right? St. Peter's St. in the Peter's. A-10. I don't know if St. Peter's in the A-10. A topic for another day. Well, no, 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 no. It's a topic. Hold on. I'm going to put my mic <laughs> on. That? He's, he's going to look it up. Are you thinking of maybe St. Bonaventure? I know St. Bonaventure is in the, the A-10. Let's see. 
St. Uh, Peter's, Peter's is in the uh, the Mac. Yeah, I was thinking uh, St. Bonaventure. Yeah, St. Peter's in the the M A A C, the Metro. The two A Mac. The two A yeah. Mac. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was wrong. I stand corrected. But so there are no there are no breaks in that right. schedule in the A10. I always I think there. I know the A10 does a challenge with some other conference. There should be a W. I think it's the Mountain A10. West. I think yeah, it's the Mountain I mean, West. Yeah. WCC would be right up there with uh, with having a challenge with the A10. I think that'd be be pretty comparable. The top of the the top of the two leagues are especially are very yeah. comparable. Yeah. And you top, look at the whole thing league. all the way throughout. I mean, you know, you'd love to. I don't think there's anybody on Gonzaga's level, but they. I mean, you'd be looking like Dayton, Gonzaga, VCU, BYU. You know, Rhode Island, St. Mary's, and you know, every team would get a good game out of that too. Uh, you know, Pacific. You're looking at like a Pacific UMass or a Pacific Temple. Yeah. You know, I mean, anyway, we're getting way off base. I think Andy Katz <laughs> is in the waiting room here. Hold on one second. Yeah, let's, let's, let's buzz him in. It's the perfect time to purchase a new car today at Chase Chevrolet. Take advantage now of model year-end inventory reduction prices and supplier pricing on select 2019 vehicles. You can always count on Chase Chevrolet for the best prices, best service, and easiest car buying experience. And now, back to our episode. All right, let's get back to baseball. I know you followed yeah, Major yeah. League Baseball this season. I remember talking about it back in April. Uh, the season just ended, obviously, this week with uh, the Dodgers winning the World Series. And really, the Dodgers kind of felt like the best team in baseball for the last four or five years. I haven't been able to get it done, obviously. But let me bring it back to the ports. Which, which ports, which former ports did you enjoy watching the most this season or this postseason? There were, uh, there were quite a few, but I think I still always enjoy watching Blake Trinan. Um, he, he was one of my favorites throughout my time in Stockton because he, he came from a great family, Tim and Geet are his, his parents and they're from Kansas and uh, military family. Uh, and they would always come up and say hi whenever they came to watch Blake and they, they couldn't be nicer. And they've continued to reach out and say hi to me over the years. Blake is the nicest guy. I, have you talked to Blake at all in your, your uh, time with the A's? Here's, here's my only interaction with Blake Trinan, uh, working for the A's. Um, an A's cast live on the field when we were allowed to do that. I think I was doing the board op a couple times and Blake trying to run, ran by, uh, grabbed a pen off our table, signed a ball and handed it to Chris Townsend Towney and said, give it to a lister. So it's, it's, it's kind of the same, I guess, personality that you described. Yeah. There's a, there's an awareness there with Blake where he knows there's more going kind of on gets around it. him. And he, he knows, he knows that he can have an effect on, on a lot of people in a positive way because of, of what he does. And, uh, and, and he, I interviewed him one time, he had just gone on the DL and I figured it would be a good time to grab an interview with him. Um, you know, he had a little bit of time, wasn't busy. And uh, I remember him saying to me during the interview that he was embarrassed that he is on the DL for the first time in his career. And I forget what the thing was, but you know, definitely needed some time. You know, you have your DL stints here and there, or your, I'm sorry, IL. <laughs> The time it was yeah, still the now. DL, but uh, yeah. now the IL. Um, and he goes, you know, I'm just embarrassed uh, to not be able to play because I take pride in, in keeping myself ready to play every day. And he's, he used the word embarrassed. I'm like, Blake, like, you're, you're entitled, man. Like, it's, you know, you need, you need a breather. But just the fact that he felt that way um, says a lot about who he was um, and who he is as a, as a person, a human being. And um, seeing him transition, he started in Stockton. So seeing his transition to a back end of the bullpen guy with the filthiness that he has, um, it was it's pretty cool to to watch his evolution over the years. So I, I really rooted hard for him, and I'm, I'm pumped for him and Max Muncy too on that Dodger team. 
Yeah. Uh, so that that's he's got an interesting career. That was the next guy I was going to bring up. I mean, when he was with the A's, you know, I mean, in the big leagues, he's in, he's in like 180 through like 50 games. And they release him, right? And the guy completely turns him, his career around. He's an all-star now. Uh, you know, what, what do you see as the, as the change in, I mean, not even mechanically, but just, you know, it just seems a little bit more loose, right? I mean, knowing him as a player and knowing him kind of as a person from his time in Stockton, what do you see as the two big differences, if you can remember his time in Oakland at all? So I can't speak to, like, the dynamics of his swing because I'm not that, I'm not that in the nitty-gritty of, of breaking down a, a swing, you know, the, 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 the in-depth way that you do it when you're a major league hitter. Uh, that it has to be done. But uh, I will say this. I was always a fan of Max. Like, I, I always – that was a head-scratcher for me. When he uh, got up to Oakland and, you know, yeah, you could say that he, quote-unquote, underperformed in, in Oakland, but it was also a small sample. Um, I know when Max was with the Ports, like, there are certain guys you always have a good feel for when they come up. Like, you know, this is a, a spot in the order where it's going to be a good spot. Like, you're going to get a, a quality A-B out of, you know, this guy every time he comes up. And Max was one of those guys. It was 2013. Um, he, he was one of those guys that gave you a quality A-B every single time. And I never – I mean, I, I never got why he didn't get uh, get more time to figure it out in Oakland. He's, he's far from the only one to have had that happen. Um, I, I think there were a couple of guys that were – uh, you know, kind of on the shuttle, if you will, back and forth from uh, from Oakland to AAA and, and Max made Josh Donaldson at one point. Donaldson, Franklin Barreto. Um, I'm, yep. I'm still looking for good things out of Franklin Barreto, who's now an angel, yep. um, you know. And Barreto still had some big moments in the big leagues. So I could never figure out – I mean, you talk about Donaldson. Barreto's umbilically tied to Donaldson if you're an A's fan. Like, he was the, the big chip you got in return from, uh, from the Jays. So, you know – there are those guys where for one reason or another, the organization may have felt, uh, you know, that they weren't their guy. And, and for whatever reason, Max was one of those guys. So it's not shocking to me that he's had success in the big leagues. Maybe it's shocking to me that he's had, he's achieved that level of success. I mean, where he is, is, is pretty next level. Um, and, and being a, a multifaceted threat, being a, the power threat that he is, but he could always hit in Stockton. I was going to say, like, I mean, power threat that he we're talking about like a 35 home run guy in 100 he was not that type of player with the A's was he no he he get a hold of one I remember there was a game I think in Rancho uh, we were down to our final strike and he he hit one out to tie it um it was like a two-run homer so he could he was always a threat to go yard but like never the 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 threat to do it as many times as he's done it at the major league level it's, it's pretty special what he's achieved at, at that level and that obviously is something in, in the swing that I can't speak to, but I right. mean, God, God bless him. Like he, 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 he worked at it and, and figured out a formula. I think they said he worked with his dad to, to really get his swing dialed in. Um, and he's, he's had great success. So I'm, I'm pumped for him. Yeah. After he got released, I, I remember the, the story is he went home to Texas and kind of whatever, whatever tweak he made is working for him. He went and to, like uh, he, he went to Baylor with uh, Brittany Griner. I remember interviewing him about that. Brittany Griner's the uh, WNBA, but she's still on Phoenix Mercury. She was, pr- I mean, prolific college right. player. Yeah, she was yeah. drafted by Phoenix. But uh, he, I remember him telling me about some classes they were in together. So, yeah, he was uh, one of the, the big athletes coming out of Baylor at the time, fifth rounder. Having the Dodgers win the World Series is cool because I'm sure you, you saw a lot of guys that, that came up through the Cal League. I mean, what, what do you remember about um, – 
you know, calling games with, with some of those guys on that Dodger team, Bellinger, Walker Bueller, you know, uh, Corey Seager, right, what have you. Um, what do you remember about some of those Rancho teams that showcased some of those guys and, and some of the other guys that made an impact, uh, you know, maybe that weren't necessarily ports, that, but that you saw come up with the Cal League? Those Rancho teams were special. I mean, I know you've probably talked to Sammy about it. Like, those Rancho teams were un- unbelievable. Um, and, and we're seeing this. The crazy thing is you're seeing the tip of the iceberg right now with what the Dodgers have. I mean, they're still, they're still loaded in their system. Yeah. Like, K. Bear Ruiz is going to be one of the, one of the best catchers in, in Major League Baseball. And he was 18. Gavin Lux. Gavin Lux. They traded yeah. Dean Kramer, who's had Stockton native. Shout out to Dean. His, uh, his dad's a tennis coach at Pacific, too. Um, but, uh, they traded Dean Kramer and he, he shoved with the Orioles this year. So that just yeah. gives you an idea of the type of depth they have. So I think with the Dodgers, yeah, they have a lot of money to spend. Yeah. They, um, you know, they weren't shy about splashing the free agent market with, with Mookie, which why would you be hesitant about that? Uh, as you know, someone who grew up following the Red Sox, it disappoints me yeah. that they would choose to let someone like that go. But, um, you know, Welcome to my world, man. <laughs> life of every A's fan yep you got it you got it doubly bad I mean I guess you're kind of an A's in a, in a Red Sox guy yeah I mean right? I mean I have more you know more people on the A's that are friends of mine you know <laughs> yeah. so but you know for as much as the Dodgers will splash around with some money like they drafted really well and they did it right like they have they have great catching depth they have some great arms um, and they have guys that put up just amazing at bats amazing at bats i mean i i can i can go down the line i mean i remember a guy dj peters i don't know where he is now um in their system but he he was i think cal league player of the year or the he won the mvp uh in 2017 i believe and i mean it was just an animal you know like and he was he wasn't even the best guy on that rancho team so seeing those guys come through rancho you just knew that that the dodgers were going to be in for a long period of time where they were really really good well, it's not, and it's not just drafting well, right? It's it's their player development system. I mean, you could look at guys like Walker Bueller, first round pick. You know, Cody Bellinger, I guess third round pick, right? But even some of these other guys, Tony Gonsolin, mm-hmm. St. Mary's Gale, by the way. Uh, you nice. know, he he was a fifth year guy out of college that they drafted. You know, I'm they, they probably didn't give him much for a signing bonus, even if they drafted the top ten rounds. And he was Baseball America's Rookie of the Year. Uh, yeah. this season so He's it's just they, they, the world series right I mean they just kind of have it figured out in, on numerous fronts yeah they have quality people in their in their system and I think when you have an organization that have of uh, tradition the Dodgers have I mean they have people yeah. that come through that make you sit up and go wow like you know Tommy Lasorda is here tonight and he's going to talk to us before the game like there's and the A's have that too like the A's are one of those teams that's like oh like Ricky Henderson's in the clubhouse today and Ricky's playing cards with the guys like to have like those are things teams like like the Rays don't have you know and that's not their fault that's just they're a newer organization like the Diamondbacks don't have that you know but but you have teams that have that rich history and there's like a almost like a pedigree there and an expectation like this is this is how we perform you know, as Dodgers, this is how we perform as A's. And, and here's the proof. Like, here's Dave Stewart coming in for a day. Or here's Ricky Henderson. Like, I think that speaks volumes. And I think in, if you're developing players in that kind of an incubator, they're, they're, you can't say enough about what that means to a young player. You brought the Rays, and it kind of get, gets me on the, 
you know, obviously they a lot of controversy around game six. Blake Snell will not be coming back to a minor league Rays uh, clubhouse, I don't think, when he's done no. uh, to impart his wisdom to the younger Rays, unless, of course, he's working in the no. organization. What, what did you think of that? I mean, I, I love the the uh, kind of monologue that Tim Kirchin had on, on, on ESPN. I missed the uh, monologue. I think it was the day after, but he's just, he was just talking about how we're kind of losing the feel for our game. Um, I'm, you know, and, and listen, I, I get the analytics part of it. I understand that, but it just kind of felt like, you know, Blake Snell, one hard hit ball. I, I don't know. Where, where do you feel like, is this good for the game? You know, where do you feel like baseball is going when we're, we're, we're relying so much on relievers and we're kind of losing our way in terms of starting pitching? So here's the analogy I'd give you, and I've thought about this. So when you, when you sit down at a blackjack table, like you're sitting down with the – I love your analogies, by the way. Can I just say <laughs> your – yeah, I, I love them. Well, here, here's one for you. So, and, I, and I thought about this. This is like as I'm trying to reconcile seeing that moment and figuring out where the game's going. Like if you sit down at a blackjack table, you're expecting to lose whatever you brought, right? So if I sit down with 100 bucks and I lose 100 bucks, I'm like, well, you know, there's, there was the expectation and you're playing – you're gambling, you know, but you sit down at the blackjack table and the table is hot and you're winning and winning and winning. Like, do you get up and leave in the middle of your win? Like if, if the table's hot, are you walking away from it? Like, hopefully you have sense enough to walk away when it goes the other way. But if you're on an insane hot streak for two hours, which, you know, some, you might be lucky enough a time or two, uh, to, to sit at a table and have that happen. Like I, I have, you know, you're, you're not walking away. Like you're going to wait and say, okay, if it gets to a certain point, I'm gone. And then you you go, but like, you're not walking away as they're handing you chips, you know? And, and to me, they were like, the, the Rays were hitting and hitting and hitting if they're at the blackjack table, right? They have Blake Snell out there and he is just getting them through. Like he is just dealing. Know, and I get the expectation is after the fifth inning, he's not been good. And the numbers suggest that, you know, there's a dad, there's data out there that suggests that he should be removed at a certain point, but like have some feel, you know, and he's your ace. And, and I, it, it, it upsets me a little bit. Um, you know, and I, there is absolutely, there is absolutely room for all the analytics in the world in baseball, but you have to leave room for feel too. Like you have to leave room for common sense and trusting a guy that you have groomed for this moment. And, I, and it just – I feel like ditching, ditching all of the feel that you might have for a situation in favor of analytics is, is counterintuitive. I agree. And I, I get the argument that says, you know, listen, this is how the Rays got to where they were. Um, but it, it's, it's game six of the World Series, man. It's an elimination game. And like you said, I love the fact you use a gambling analogy, by the way. I've seen you catch a couple of heaters at you know, $5 <laughs> tables at the Orleans. The Orleans, baby. Uh, as as well as the uh, the video poker at the video at the old alligator bar, right? Uh, well, that's that's a that's a crowd favorite. But um, yeah, like it's Game Six, of the World Series, man. And and I know that guys like Nick Anderson got you there. He was fantastic in the regular season. The guy didn't have a very good postseason though. He did not have a good World Series. Like he had given up runs in each of his last three outings. Even looking beyond that, though, you're in an elimination game. I mean, you know. Nine strikeouts and 18 plate appearances for the Dodgers against Blake Snell. I mean, for the team in that dugout, for the Dodgers, right, don't you kind of get the sense if you're in that dugout that, okay, he's out of there. Yes. That's almost like a new life. Yes. I mean, you're riding the hot hand. Like, take it, make it a basketball analogy. Like, 
if you have a dude that is just hot from beyond the arc, you know, right. maybe his ears will be ringing here, but like Kerry Carter, you know, from St. Mary's of 2000, whatever, 14, 13, 14. But like, if he, if he's just hot as a pistol from, from three, you're going to keep feeding him, you know? And, and if he's, if, if he's hitting all his heat checks, like you're going to keep feeding him. So why, why would you, why would you go away from that? If it's working, why go away from that? I can understand if it gets a little dicey and you get yourself into a spot, but I don't know, man. I, I just think there's, there's common sense involved too. And not to mention it's a, it's a Cy Young award winner. Like we're not talking about right. a guy that has, has gotten maybe lucky for five innings. Like this is a guy that is a Cy Young award winner. Like if you're going to go down, you're going to go down with this guy on the bump in, in my mind. It's just such a mental thing for the Dodgers, too. I mean, it's kind of like anybody but Blake Snell. Like, you could bring in Cy Young after Blake Snell. At least we're not facing Blake Snell the way he was going in that game. Um, yeah. Hey, speaking of, uh, of, you know, baseball this year, what did you think of some of, some of the rule changes? I, I had Scott Bush on of Sabre. Uh, and if you haven't listened to that yet, go, go back a few episodes after this one. I, I thought he had a really good uh, – a really good explanation for the expanded playoffs because before I talked to him, Zach, I was kind of against expanded playoffs over 162 games. I still think I kind of am, but he brought up some good points and I'll get to that after I hear what you think about it. What do you think of the expanded playoffs? Expanded in the sense of more teams. What if we had eight teams from the AL, eight teams from the NL in a 162 game season? I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it either. I think, you know, Look, I don't want to make this about about this per se, but like, does that does everybody get a trophy? Like, are are we at that point now where if you finish with a 500 record, like you're you're gonna be fighting to get into the playoffs? Like, come on, let's let's be real here. Like the playoffs. Eight and under soccer. What's that? Eight and under soccer. Eight and under soccer. Yeah, this is yeah. this is Major League Baseball. Like you you win your division, and I I I like the wild card format as it is. I think it's I think that is just enough. Like it, it's just enough. It gets just enough out of like the, the model with more teams being involved. It gets more fan bases involved. Even the teams that don't make it are going to have a, a chance and feel like they can make it even up until the last two weeks of the season. So I, I think that's just enough. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to water down the, the, the teams that, that are really the cream of the crop. You know, like you deserve to be there or you don't. So did, did he have an argument that was, it was counter to that? Well, his argument was just in the case of growing the game. And I totally understand that. You know, he said hope is, is the best drug that you can give a fan base to keep them coming back. Right. So, I mean, look at a market like Pittsburgh, for example, who has a, a beautiful new ballpark, obviously. And, and they're not going to have those problems out there. But for a diet, for a, a, a Pirates, a Pittsburgh fan that may be on the fence, you could lose that fan by the time you get to July, August. I think the extra wild card does does help that to an extent because you have so many team more teams in the race. But just in terms, his point was just in terms of helping the game grow, helping Major League Baseball grow, uh, and giving hope to more of those markets where you. And I, I do think this, like I think if you're going to go eight in each league, 162 games is way too many. And I think that you know, Major League Baseball probably scale back a little bit or maybe add some more seven-inning doubleheaders, which is another one I want to get your opinion on because I'm not a huge fan of the seven-inning doubleheaders. Maybe if it gives you more days off, that's an okay trade-off, just kind of changes the game. But anyway, that was his point on the expanded playoffs, that you give more markets hope. You know what gives people hope if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates is you don't, you, you don't become a BS organization that you were <laughs> after Barry Bonds left and you don't sit back and, and take your revenue share 
and go home with it. Like you don't decimate your fan base over a, a number of years, over two decades by being terrible. Like yeah. to, to me, yeah. Like you're, you're going to maybe give them hope for a, a month or two, but like, how, how about try and be consistently competitive and how about try and be a team that drafts well and develops and pays players and, and is a organization that has a standard of excellence from the top down. Like, Keith Lippman said this to me once, and I'll never forget it. It was when the Astros were going through their just disaster stretch where they were, you know, they won 48 games a, a year or whatever. And well, they were tanking. They were tanking. They were tanking. And yeah. uh, Keith Lippman, during batting practice one day, said, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of as a, a, a member of the A's is that we have never – we have rebuilt. We've had to go back to the drawing board, but we have never embraced that as an organization. We've never embraced – let's win 45 games for the next couple of years and really do a full on reset. He goes, every year we, we are in it to win it from, mm -hmm. you know, more or less, you know, there's going to be some years where you miss and maybe some years where, you know, you might not stack up, but we're never going to embrace the, the philosophy of, of just being terrible. And I thought that was very insightful from, from lip. And it gave me a lot of insight into what the A's are all about, which, you know, gave me a lot more, uh, certainly a lot more respect at that time for, for the A's. No doubt. Uh, when the Pirates are trying to contend, though, Zach, you get things like the Chris Archer trade. So maybe it's a good thing they're going down the road. Yeah, that, I mean, I'm not saying that, that they're... They <laughs> I'm not saying Which they're... Which was historically bad for the Pirates. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying they can't even do that right. Yeah, I know. I know. And I, and I apologize I, to all you Pirates fans out there. Cody Elias, if you're listening. <laughs> That's right. Cody. Cody might be offended. But, I mean, he might agree, too. Like, they were... Oh, yeah. They alienated their fan base for a, a good period of time. And, and when they drafted guys, they would trade them. And before they have to pay them, and they wouldn't have any stock in the minor leagues. So, they, they just yeah. had a bad run. And they shamelessly just took their revenue share and, and, and took the profit, you know? So, I don't know what to say about that. But... um. Look you know, no further I, than game five of the ALDS. Garrett Cole, former Pirate, versus Tyler Glass now, former Pirate. Yeah. Yeah, the guys are there. Just, just pay them and develop your organizational philosophy. I think that's one of the best things about the A's is they've had so many of the same people in place top to bottom. And uh, right. the organizational philosophy kind of lives in those people. And uh, there's a, a good standard there of excellence within that. All right, let me, uh, let me ask you about the, the runner on second base for extra innings because we've seen this at the minor league baseball level already. And honestly, when I went to fill in for you, Zach, I had no idea. I didn't even know, dude. Like, I, I mean, it, it was just something that completely uh, I completely missed. So when we got to extra innings and a guy ran out to second base, I was like, oh, this is what we're doing here. How do you think that works in the grand scheme of things in, the in, a, in, a, in a regular season? Because I think we're – I kind of think we're past the point now of having to play 19-inning games. Right. Uh, so, but how do you think that rule plays itself out over the course of, you know, more than 120 games? Like, do, do I like it or do I think it's practical? Do you like it? Do you, I mean, well, both, I guess. I mean, they, they, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. I don't, I don't like it. Um, as a, cause I'm a, I'm a baseball traditionalist. I could so sit are. and I can, I can sit at a ballpark. Like if I have a ticket to a game and this, again, this is me going as a, as a, a, a guy that will go with a friend or, you know, my wife now or whomever. Um, and I'll, I'll sit there for 22, like the longer, the better, like I'm there to enjoy myself and to, to partake in the ballpark and, and to have a night. So if the game goes 19, 20 innings, it, it doesn't bother me per se. I get how it's a logistical challenge, especially now with organizations who have their pitchers on strict limits and 
you know, they're basically training guys to be, you know, one, two winning guys. And then you run out of those guys after a certain period of time. Um, so the length of the game has never bothered me. I understand now why it's practical. Do I like it? No. Do I think it might be here to stay? Yeah. I, I think, yeah. uh, you know, unfortunately, and, and I hope not. Um, did you talk to any of the A's guys about how, you know, Ken or Vince and how they liked it? No. Um, and last time I talked to either one of those guys, you know, face to face was before the season started. So we really didn't get a chance to see it play out. Uh, I would have to go back and listen to the Ken Korak. I did talk to Ray Fossey about it, I think. And I mean, I think he's kind of the same deal, but on the same token, like I said, I, I don't think he thinks that we need to be playing 18 innings anymore. Again, I'd have to go back on these episodes and listen, man. I, again, we're on episode 50 here. So, uh, and we're talking months and months ago. So, uh, I don't remember what their answer to that one was exactly, but I'm sure it's something along the lines of, of how you feel. I like the game the way it is. Like I grew up watching yeah. the game and thinking like, you know, you, you have to earn your way on base and it, it becomes, I think even more special, the deeper you get into a game where teams are getting a little tired and there's, you're more on the edge of your seat, at least for me. But the, yeah. the counter argument to that is, well, people are getting bored after a while. It's like, well, then tell them to find a different sport, you know? <laughs> that's, my, that's my instinct to, to lash out and be like, well, find something different if it's not for you. But for me, like, I love this. Like, for me, it's riveting when we're in the 14th and there's a leadoff walk, you know, and you work a leadoff walk and have a chance to parlay it into a run. Like, that to me just puts me on the edge of my seat. I agree. And, but to play devil's advocate, uh, what I would say if I were Major League Baseball I was, is I would say that a lot of people have found other sports. And, that, you know, that's, maybe that's a reason that baseball is declining in popularity uh, in the under, you know, 20 crowd. Well, if you really want to get into baseball's shortcomings when it, as it pertains to the under 20 crowd, it's that for a How long much time, time you got. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I won't go too deep, but I mean, for a long time, I think baseball neglected uh, – areas that that could have helped them grow the game with a with a more youthful crowd um i think at the grassroots level baseball could have done more uh to keep more people involved in the sport that should have been especially to keep more minorities involved mm -hmm. in the sport mm -hmm. outside of latin countries like i'm talking like african-american kids in the united states like that didn't have the means to to have equipment to go play in in, in little league and in, in babe ruth and like did you did you really water the seed if you're Major League Baseball at that level to help it grow in that demographic, right. or is, is the reason you have problems because the game is too long? I, I think the game is the reason the game's having problems marketing wise is because you didn't you didn't help areas that could have been helped a long time ago. You know that's just my take. You didn't give kids the opportunity to love it from the moment they could you know catch yeah. a baseball. And you priced them out. Like yeah. you built these palaces and you priced them out. Like it's going to be fascinating to see when when these stadiums open again like what what the market is for tickets because for major league baseball like the market for tickets hasn't been strong the last couple of years you look around yep. like any any weeknight game in cincinnati like i'm watching quick pitch and i'm like did anybody go to great american ballpark tonight like good seats are still available and it's 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 a shame because if you had more accessibility i think i think you'd you'd be able to draw on more families I, there's no doubt. And I think developing the game in inner cities, like you said, I mean, there's, there's the complex down in Compton, which is, you know, it's a good start, but you, you kind of need that everywhere because yeah. too many, like you said, too many kids are, are going to basketball or football or, I mean, now soccer is kind of surging a little bit in popularity as well. Yeah. Um, maybe not in the inner cities, but you know, elsewhere. So 
you know, just doing things like the, the uh, intentional walk, it's just, it's kind of paying lip service to the, to the whole deal. That's not, that is eyewash for me. Right. Like that intentional walk is I like let him throw four pitches. Cause I've seen, I've seen a game end on an intentional walk, wild pitch. Yeah. You know? Like to me, that's a pitch that still has consequence, but now you've taken that out for, for no doubt. No doubt. What would you, how would you feel about seven inning double headers? You've been through a lot of those. I think it would kind of, it would, it would change the way that uh, managers can use their bullpen. I think it would take some of the importance out of those extra two innings are a lot, man. And when you talk about doing that at the major league level, uh, I think it makes a big deal. But what, what do you think of seven inning doubleheaders, you know, once every two weeks, whatever, at the major league level? You mean uh, scheduled or, or uh, scheduled? Yeah. Because I know they're talking about doing this to give guys more days off. I don't like, I don't like scheduled. Um, I, I could see it in the event where you have to play a doubleheader, you make them seven yeah. innings. And I think I'd be especially on board if you made it a, a single admission, if you're, if you're at a major league ballpark, like you make it a single admission uh, doubleheader. Um, and and that, that'll get more people out there, give them a chance to, to get to a game or two in that, in that instance. But I, I think I, I could maybe get behind the seven inning doubleheader. Um, I think more than I can get behind starting a runner at second um, in extra innings. Um, and it's because doubleheaders are, are they're, they're rare if they're not scheduled. So, you know, in, right. in the rare instance you have a doubleheader. Yeah. Like let's play two and let's make them seven and let's make them single admission. And, and uh, you know, you're still going to get 14 innings out of, out of baseball on that day. And, and that's still enough for me. That's fair. That is fair. But I'd rather not. I'd rather play nine. Yeah, I'd, I'd rather play nine, play nine too. I, mean, I remember talking to Ray Fossey about that. I think the A's had a series against the Astros where they had to play two seven-inning doubleheaders, and the Astros had this gaping hole in their middle relief. So it was like, well, if you get the starter out for four innings and they could just go to their plus guys right away, it just kind of mm-hmm. – I don't know. It takes it takes uh, it takes some of the meat out of it. For sure, it's and you're going to have to figure out how to manage those situations for sure. But um, you can cover more holes that way in a seven inning game. You can cover more holes in a seven inning game. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just going to be a little bit different. But I could I could concede that if I had to concede anything in this new in this new era of baseball. What what's your take on minor league baseball realignment? I mean, it's not it's not really going to affect the AAA level as much. Uh, the rumor that I've heard, and we're not sure if this is true yet, but the rumor that I've heard was that Fresno would drop down to the Cal League. Again, we don't know if that's true yet. Um, we, we still don't know what teams are on the chopping block. I've also heard the New York Penn League would become a college wood bat league. Um, the Northwest League would become a low A league, I guess. The A's are, have already shifted their affiliate from Deloitte to Vancouver, as reported by Susan Slusser. But uh, I, that kind of goes back to the accessibility part of the game, right? I mean, you take baseball you take affiliated baseball out of some of these communities that have had it forever um uh, what's your thought on this whole thing i get the the control part for major league baseball and they want more control over the minor leagues we may have talked about this in april but and and not much has changed since then but what what's your take on on the milb realignment uh axing of certain teams what have you so i think there's a way i think there's room to figure out how to do it better I'll concede that like there's room to, to, to take a look at the big picture and say, Hey, how can we streamline this a little bit better? How can we maybe have better resources and, and fewer liabilities? I, I, I get that. I would feel better about it if it didn't feel like such a hostile takeover by major yeah. league baseball. I think the feel and the optics of it make it a little bit dirty for me. 
Um, and I, I feel for a community like Lancaster, which you, you've not gotten to experience yet, but, um, you know, it's interesting. You go to these places in the Cal League, and a lot of them are off the off the beaten path. Like for a kid from Worcester, Mass, like I never thought I'd be spending as much time in the high desert of Southern California. Yeah. But like, you go to a town like Lancaster, like you get to know kind of the clientele there and the people. And there are a lot of commuters that go to LA, but there's also a lot of people that couldn't afford to live in in the greater LA area that moved up there and really latched on to a team like the Jethawks. Like the Jethawks are part of the community. They do a lot of community outreach fans identify with that team in a big way they have a booster club they have a facility that that in, especially in the last 10 years they've done really well with that facility they've they've kept it fresh they've upgraded the fan experience is great they have f-18 flyovers on some nights like they had buzz aldrin throughout a first pitch when we were there in 2007 which was crazy to see um but like i feel for them because those fans really do love that team and for whatever reason that team is one of the teams getting axed and you know, I, allegedly, I, we don't know if that's allegedly, but yeah. like, but why everything like, you've heard is that, but why, like, why would you not want that market? Like it's, it's essentially greater LA. It's 60 miles from LA. The facility is really nice and they draw. Like I get it, it's windy. Like it's a terrible pitcher's ballpark, but other than that, you want that market. So I, I, I don't understand why and I think that's a problem that I have is like there's never been a good explanation why like why Lancaster or why team x from you know the the Midwest League like tell us why give us a good reason or let's talk about it hey go to the leagues and say which teams can we rework here like do you really think Fresno is going to work in the Cal League because I don't like that stadium is huge it's a 12,000 seat stadium like you go from there to Visalia and Visalia is tiny it just it's just a it becomes kind of weird for me. They just, uh, I just saw in baseball America that major league baseball um, released how they want facilities to look like, you know, how they want them up to code, like clubhouses have to be a certain square footage. Uh, you have to have covered batting cages and hitting or uh, batting cages and, and, uh, and covered mounds. Um, I, I don't know. It's just, it, I, I under, again, I understand that part, but you know, you look, Major League Baseball kind of says, hey, we don't want to take baseball out of any community. It'd be, it'd be easy in a place like the New York Penn League where you can just create a college wood bat league, which wouldn't be the same for those communities. But you talk about a, a community like Lancaster. I mean, that market is screwed. There's no – you know, what, what college wood bat league are they going to join? What independent league are they going to join? There's nothing down there. Yeah, and, and, and any, any independent league that comes in there is – like they're not going to have the money to keep that facility up, you know, and it's just, it just feels really weird. And I wish somebody from major league baseball would come out and at least give an explanation, like what they're trying to do here and, and maybe what they thought of and what they considered in trying to execute their plan. I mean, it's, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn now with, with this whole thing, but like, it would have been nice to have that from the get go to have mm -hmm. more of an open-ended discussion with, people that are actually in minor league baseball and in, in these trenches that have had to figure out how to relate to their communities and how to, how to make baseball come alive for these people. Like nobody talked to anybody. I, that's the feeling that I get. I feel like it's just, you know, higher ups in, in major league baseball that said, we're going to do it this way. And if you don't like it, then so be it. And you know, it's, it kind of sucks. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong we'll about see. the way it went down, but to me, that's the optics of it. And it, it kind of sucks. Well, I like getting a take from someone like you who's been in it for, you know, over a decade and you understand kind of how it works and, and 
you know, uh, and it, to add, you know, after hearing your opinion, it just, it does kind of feel like at, at a certain level that suits are making these decisions. And look, we all know they're money decisions. We get that. Um, but like you said, the decision-making process, I guess, um, yeah, that's on the, on the, on the face of it anyway, maybe leaves yeah, a little like bit to be make, desired. Make money decisions. Like I get it, make money decisions, but don't, don't, don't just come down with these edicts. Like how about let's talk about it. And there's people that are in, involved in the, the nooks and crannies of baseball that could really help you figure out the best way forward. And, mm-hmm. you know, it just feel, I feel like those people weren't at the table for those discussions. Well, uh, you know. We'll get 12,000 seats in, uh, in Fresno for Cal League games whenever baseball starts again, if the rumors are true, of course. Well, and not just to add on to that, like, what do you do about divisions in the Cal League? Like, do you, yeah. do you put Fresno in the north and Visalia? Well, the theor- theoretically, yeah, that would be the case. I mean, that would make the most sense given the eight teams that you have. And you have two teams that are 45 minutes apart that are going to be playing each other, you know, I don't know how many times nine, less than Nine than times, whatever the schedule, like. Right as opposed to playing their division opponents, what, 18 times or something like that? Yeah. Is that what it is, 18 times? So. Uh, yeah, something, 18 or more, yeah, and some, some years more. I don't know. I guess we've been 20, doing actually, this for a while with Visalia times. in the north, right? Um, yeah, 20, 28, 28 times usually is 28 times. a year. Yeah, minimum, minimum. Minimum, okay. And what, about, what about when Bakersfield and Hyde, was Bakersfield in the north? Yeah, yeah. So it was, at that point, it was a little bit uh, – the schedule's always been weird in the Cal League. Like, I remember in 2009, we played the San Jose Giants 34 times. And that San Jose team had Bumgarner, Posey, Nick Noonan, Angel Villalona, Connor Gillespie. Like, that was a stacked. Bunch of big leaguers. Roger yeah. Kishnick. Like, that was a stacked team. And uh, we went nine and – do the math. Nine and 23? Or nine and 20, whatever, whatever 34 minus nine is. God, 23. 20- 34 minus 25, nine is 25, yeah. 25, yeah. Yeah, so we went nine and 25 that year against the San Jose Giants. And uh, we just wore it, you know. And then we played Bakersfield, I think, maybe 18 times that year. But, yeah, never in made the same. They never, they never In the same division. Like, they never balanced it out. It was always kind of quirky. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess in this case, it's a little bit less quirky than having Bakersfield in the north. True. As opposed yeah. to the south. Because you got True. Bakersfield how far from Lancaster? you know, hour and a half. Yeah, that, that could have been a, they, they commuted some of those trips to Lancaster. Right. Right. So it is what it is. Well, Zach, hey, I, I really enjoyed this, man. I appreciate yeah, man. you. Uh, you tell I my baseball juices on. are like flowing now. Like I, I was dying to talk baseball with someone. Well, well, we started with college basketball. We end up, we end up here where we're, we're ready for opening day already. I mean, it's October 30th, tomorrow's Halloween and, and we're ready for opening day already. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and we're not sure what we're going to get from a college basketball. So. I was going to say, let's get, let's hopefully get through basketball first, please. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Hey Zach, uh, thanks so much, man. I know the people, you know, all, all the sports fans love hearing your voice. I love hearing your voice. Uh, <laughs> I love hearing and, yours, man. They're going to love hearing yours too. Hopefully, hopefully well, fingers crossed in April, hopefully, hopefully in 2021, uh, yeah, man. We'll, we'll get that. But, um, Hey, thanks again so much, man. Be good. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks buddy. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms, as well as at our home. 
anchor.fm slash Stockton ports. You can also visit the ports website at StocktonPorts.com and follow the ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Portside Pod.